Chapter forty six of the Ragged Trousered Philanthropists. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tig Hines. The Ragged Trousered Philanthropists by Robert Tressel. Chapter forty six. The sixty five. The next morning after breakfast, Philpot, Sawkins, Harlow, and Barrington went to the yard to get the long ladder, the sixty-five, so called because it had sixty-five rungs. It was really what is known as a builder's scaffold ladder, and it had been strengthened by several iron bolts or rods which passed through just under some of the rungs. One side of the ladder had an iron band or ribbon twisted and nailed round it spirally. It was not at all suitable for painter's work, being altogether too heavy and cumbrous. However, as none of the others were long enough to reach the high gable at the refuge, they managed with a struggle to get it down from the hooks, and put it on one of the hand-carts, and soon passed through the streets of mean and dingy houses in the vicinity of the yard, and began the ascent of the long hill. There had been a lot of rain during the night, and the sky was still overcast with dark grey clouds. The cart went heavily over the muddy road. Sawkins was at the helm, holding the end of the ladder and steering. The others walked a little further ahead, at the sides of the cart. It was such hard work that by the time they were halfway up the hill they were so exhausted and out of breath that they had to stop for a rest. "'It's a bit of all right, ain't it?' remarked Harlow as he took off his cap and wiped the sweat from his forehead with his handkerchief. While they rested they kept a good lookout for Rushton or Hunter who were likely to pass at any moment. At first no one made any reply to Harlow's observation, for they were all out of breath, and Philpot's lean fingers trembled violently as he wiped the perspiration from his face. "'Yes, mate,' he said despondently after a while. "'It's one way of getting a living, and there's plenty of better ways.' In addition to the fact that his rheumatism was exceptionally bad, he felt unusually low-spirited this morning. The gloomy weather and the prospect of a long day of ladder-work probably had something to do with it. "'It's a living, all right,' said Barrington, bitterly. He also was exhausted with the struggle up the hill, and enraged by the woebegone appearance of poor old Philpot, who was panting and quivering from the exertion. They relapsed into silence. The unaccountable depression that possessed Philpot deprived him of all his usual jocularity and filled him with melancholy thoughts. He had travelled up and down this hill a great many times before under similar circumstances, and he said to himself that if he had half a quid for every time that he had pushed a cart up this road, he wouldn't need to do anyone out of a job at all for the rest of his life. The shop where he had been apprenticed used to be just down at the bottom. The place had been pulled down years ago, and the ground was now occupied by more pretentious buildings. Not quite so far down the road on the other side, he could see the church where he used to attend Sunday school when he was a boy, and where he was married just thirty years ago. Presently, when they reached the top of the hill, he would be able to look across the valley and see the spire of the other church, the one in the graveyard, where all those who were dear to him had been one by one laid to rest. He felt he would not be sorry when the time came to join them there. Possibly in the next world, if there were such a place, they might all be together once more. He was suddenly aroused from his thoughts by an exclamation from Harlow. "'Look out! Here comes Rushton!' They immediately resumed their journey. Rushton was coming up the hill in his dog-cart, with Grinder sitting by his side. They passed so close that Philpot, who was on that side of the cart, was splashed with mud from the wheels of the trap. "'Them some of your chaps, ain't they?' remarked Grinder. "'Yes,' replied Rushton. "'We're doing a job up this way.' "'I should have thought it would pay you better to use a horse for such work as that.' said Grinder. 
we do use the horses whenever it's necessary for big loads you know answered rushton and added with a laugh but the donkeys are quite strong enough for such a job as that the donkeys struggled on up the hill for about another hundred yards and then they were forced to halt again we mustn't stop long you know said harlow most likely he's gone to the job and he'll wait to see how long it takes us to get there barrington felt inclined to say that in that case rushton would have to wait but he remained silent for he remembered that although he personally did not care a brass button whether he got the sack or not the others were not so fortunately circumstanced while they were resting another two-legged donkey passed by pushing another cart or rather holding it back for he was coming slowly down the hill another heir of all the ages another imperialist a degraded brutalized wretch clad in filthy stinking rags his toes protruding from the rotten broken boots that were tied with bits of string upon his stockingless feet the ramshackle cart was loaded with empty bottles and putrid rags heaped loosely in the cart and packed into a large sack old coats and trousers dresses petticoats and underclothing greasy mildewed and malodorous as he crept along with his eyes on the ground the man gave utterance at intervals to uncouth inarticulate sounds that's another way of getting a livin said sawkins with a laugh as the miserable creature slunk past harlow also laughed and barrington regarded them curiously he thought it strange that they did not seem to realize that they might some day become like this man themselves i've often wondered what they does with all them dirty old rags said philpot made into paper replied harlow briefly well some of them are said barrington and some are manufactured into shoddy cloth and made into sunday clothes for working men there's all sorts of different ways of getting a livin remarked sawkins after a pause i read in a paper the other day about a bloke what goes about looking for open trap-doors and cellar flaps in front of shops and as soon as he spotted one open he used to go and fall down in it and then he'd be took to the hospital and when he got better he used to go and threaten to bring an action against the shopkeeper and get damages and most of them used to part up without going in front of the judge at all but one day a slop was a-watching of him and seen him chuck hisself down one and when they picked him up they found he'd broken his leg so they took him to the hospital and when he came out and went round to the shop and started talking about bringing an action for damages the slop collared him and they gave him six months yes i read about that said harlow and there was another case of a chap who was run over by a motor and they tried to make out as he put himself in the way on purpose but he got some money out of the swell it belonged to a hundred pound i think it was i only wish that one of the motors would run into me said philpot making a feeble attempt at a joke i lay i'd get some of me own back out of them the others laughed and harlow was about to make some reply but at that moment a cyclist appeared coming down the hill from the direction of the job it was nimrod so they resumed their journey once more and presently hunter shot past on his machine without taking any notice of them when they arrived they found that rushton had not been there at all but nimrod had crass said that he had kicked up no end of a row because they had not called at the yard at six o'clock that morning for the ladder instead of going for it after breakfast making two journeys instead of one and he had also been ratty because the big gable had not been started the first thing that morning they carried the ladder into the garden and laid it on the ground along the side of the house where the gable was a brick wall about eight feet high separated the grounds of the refuge from those of the premises next door between this wall and the side of the house was a space about six feet wide and this space formed a kind of valley or lane or passage along the side of the house they laid the ladder on the ground along the passage the foot was placed about half-way through 
just under the centre of the gable, and as it lay there, the other end of the ladder reached right out to the front railings. Next it was necessary that two men should go up into the attic, the window of which was just under the point of the gable, and drop the end of a long rope down to the others, who would tie it to the top of the ladder. Then two men would stand on the bottom rung so as to keep the foot down, and the three others would have to raise the ladder up, while the two men up in the attic hauled on the rope. They called Bundy and his mate Ned Dawson to help, and it was arranged that Harlow and Crass should stand at the foot, because they were the heaviest. Philpot, Bundy and Barrington were to raise, and Dawson and Sawkins were to go up to the attic and haul on the rope. "'Where's the rope?' asked Crass. The others looked blankly at him. None of them had thought of bringing one from the yard. "'Why, ain't there one here?' asked Philpot. "'One here? Of course there ain't one here,' snarled Crass. "'Do you mean to say as you ain't brought one, then?' Philpot stammered out something about having thought that there was one at the house already, and the others said that they had not thought about it at all. "'Well, what the bloody hell are we to do now?' cried Crass angrily. "'I'll go to the yard and get one,' suggested Barrington. "'I can do it in twenty minutes, there and back.' "'Yeah, and a bloody fine row there'd be if Hunter was to see you. "'Here it's nearly ten o'clock, and we ain't made a start on this gable "'what we ought to have started first thing this morning.' "'Couldn't we tie two or three of these short ropes together?' suggested Philpot. "'Those that the other two ladders were spliced with.' As there was sure to be a row if they delayed long enough to send to the yard, it was decided to act upon Philpot's suggestion. Several of the short ropes were accordingly tied together, but upon examination it was found that some parts were so weak that even Crass had to admit that it would be dangerous to attempt to haul the heavy ladder up with them. "'Well, the only thing I can see for it,' he said, is that the boy will have to go down to the yard and get the long rope. It won't do for anyone else to go. There's been one row already about the waste of time because we didn't call at the yard for the ladder at six o'clock. Bert was down in the basement of the house lime-washing a cellar. Crass called him up and gave him the necessary instructions, chief of which was to get back again as soon as ever he could. The boy ran off, and while they were waiting for him to come back, the others went on with their several jobs. Philpot returned to the small gable he had been painting before breakfast, which he had not quite finished. As he worked, a sudden and unaccountable terror took possession of him. He did not want to do that other gable. He felt too ill, and he almost resolved that he would ask Crass if he would mind letting him do something else. There were several younger men who would not object to doing it. It would be mere child's play to them, and Barrington had already yesterday offered to change jobs with him. But then, when he thought of what the probable consequences would be, he hesitated to take that course, and tried to persuade himself that he would probably be able to get through with the work all right. He did not want Crass or Hunter to mark him as being too old for ladder work. Bert came back in about half an hour, flushed and sweating with the weight of the rope and the speed he had made. He delivered it to Crass and then returned to his cellar and went on with the lime-washing, while Crass passed the word for Philpot and the others to come and raise the ladder. He handed the rope to Ned Dawson, who took it up to the attic, accompanied by Sawkins. Arrived there, they lowered one end of it out the window, down to the others. "'If you ask me,' said Ned Dawson, who was critically examining the strands of the rope as he passed it out through the open window, "'if you ask me, I don't see as this is much better than the one we made up by tying the short pieces together. Look here,' he indicated to a part of the rope that was very frayed and worn, "'and here's another place just as bad.' "'Well, for Christ's sake, don't say nothing about it now.' replied Sawkins. There's been enough talk and waste of time over this job already. Ned made no answer, and the end, having by this time reached the ground, Bundy made it fast to the ladder about six rungs from the top. 
The ladder was lying on the ground, parallel to the side of the house. The task of raising it would have been much easier if they had been able to lay it at right angles to the house wall, but this was impossible because of the premises next door and the garden wall between the two houses. On account of its having to be raised in this manner, the men at the top would not be able to get a straight pull on the rope. They would have to stand back in the room without being able to see the ladder, and the rope would have to be drawn round the corner of the window, rasping against the edge of the stone sill and the brickwork. The end of the rope having been made fast to the top of the ladder, Crass and Harlow stood on the foot, and the other three raised the top from the ground. As Barrington was the tallest, he took the middle position, underneath the ladder, grasping the rungs, Philpot being on his left and Bundy on his right, each holding one side of the ladder. At a signal from Crass, Dawson and Sawkins began to haul on the rope, and the top of the ladder began to rise slowly into the air. Philpot was not much use at this work, which made it all the harder for the other two who were lifting, besides putting an extra strain on the rope. His lack of strength, and the efforts of Barrington and Bundy to make up for him, caused the ladder to sway from side to side, as it would not have done if they had all been equally capable. Meanwhile, upstairs Dawson and Sawkins, although the ladder was as yet only a little more than half-way up, noticed as they hauled and strained on the rope that it had worn a groove for itself in the corner of the brickwork at the side of the window, and every now and then, although they pulled with all their strength, they were not able to draw in any part of the rope at all, and it seemed to them as if the others down below must have let go of their hold altogether, or ceased lifting. That was what actually happened. The three men found the weight so overpowering that once or twice they were compelled to relax their efforts for a few seconds, and at those times the rope had to carry the whole weight of the ladder, and the part of the rope that had to bear the greatest strain was the part that chanced to be at the angle of the brickwork at the side of the window. And presently it happened that one of the frayed and worn places that Dawson had remarked about was just at the angle during one of those momentary pauses. On one end there hung the ponderous ladder, straining the frayed rope against the corner of the brickwork and the sharp edge of the stone sill. At the other end were Dawson and Sawkins, pulling with all their strength, and in that instant the rope snapped like a piece of thread. One end remained in the hands of Sawkins and Dawson, who reeled backwards into the room, and the other end flew up into the air, writhing like the lash of a gigantic whip. For a moment the heavy ladder swayed from side to side. Barrington, standing underneath, with his hands raised above his head, grasping one of the rungs, struggled desperately to hold it up. At his right stood Bundy, also with his hands raised, holding the side, and on the left, between the ladder and the wall, was Philpot. For a brief space they strove fiercely to support the overpowering weight, but Philpot had no strength at all. The ladder, swaying over to the left, crashed down, crushing him upon the ground and against the wall of the house. He fell face downwards with the ladder across his shoulders. The side that had the iron bands twisted round it fell across the back of his neck, forcing his face against the bricks at the base of the wall. He uttered no cry and was quite still, with blood streaming from the cuts on his face and trickling from his ears. Barrington was also hurled to the ground with his head and arms under the ladder. His head and face were cut and bleeding and he was unconscious. None of the others was hurt, for they had all time to jump clear when the ladder fell. Their shout soon brought all the other men running to the spot, and the ladder was quickly lifted off the two motionless figures. At first it seemed that Philpot was dead, but Easton rushed off for a neighbouring doctor who came in a few minutes. He knelt down and carefully examined the crushed and motionless form of Philpot, while the other men stood by in terrified silence. Barrington, 
who fortunately was but momentarily stunned, was sitting against the wall and had suffered nothing more serious than minor cuts and bruises. The doctor's examination of Philpot was a very brief one. And when he rose from his knees, even before he spoke, they knew from his manner that their worst fears were realised. Philpot was dead. End of chapter 46